Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I invite you to turn your Bibles today to uh, the book of Romans, the book of Romans. And again, we are continuing in a uh, special series of messages. We entitled the series, A Healthy Church from Vision to Victory. And we have been looking at uh, our uh, threefold mission to love God, to love people, to make disciples. And then the four uh, fields uh, of our um, mission where we carry out that mission that God has uh, given to us. And uh, we have uh, looked uh, at those various um, fields together. We've been out for, uh, I've been out, I didn't get to preach last week, but I know you were blessed by, by Brother Robert's uh, message, and we're so grateful that uh, he could come and be with us. But we've considered the field of uh, congregation, uh, the field uh, of uh, family, the field of community. And again today, we are going to consider uh, together the field of the world. And we're going to look this morning at Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. We're going to begin reading with verse 5. It's a, it's a, a lengthy passage, but I uh, want to look at a number of uh, parts of that passage this morning as we consider uh, together the, the field of the world. Uh, in Romans 14, of course, Romans is, uh, is a wonderful doctrinal book, full, and the first uh, uh, number of chapters deal with that. And, and then uh, after we get to chapter 9, we begin to move toward the more practical section uh, of, uh, of Romans. And really in Romans 14, Paul begins dealing there with some of the divisive issues that are occurring between Jewish uh, believers, those who were, uh, from a, uh, Jew, who were Jews and have come now to faith in Christ as their Lord, their Messiah, and also Gentile believers. And uh, at one time, uh, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, apart from Christ, and uh, would have had nothing to do with one another. But once they repented of their sin and came to faith in Christ, uh, they were now together, not only in Christ, but they were also now together in the local church. And, uh, and they had a lot of different backgrounds. And so that was a struggle, especially probably for the Jewish believers who had all these things that had been so uh, taught them, entrenched in them as Jews, the things you do and things you don't do. You remember, if you remember in the book of Acts, Peter had a great difficulty with that. And, and it was even difficult for many of them to go to the Gentiles and to share the gospel. And uh, Paul was able uh, just immediately almost to overcome that by the grace of God. But some of the others uh, uh, had difficulty because, again, the, the gospel brings us together. The gospel unites us, and, and we are united around worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and while those difficulties uh, can, those uh, that past can be difficult, we are to lay down our preferences and our, our past uh, and unite around the gospel and the worship of Christ. And this passage uh, teaches us that this was always God's plan, that this was revealed not only in the New Testament, but as we're going to see in the Old Testament, uh, there are passages that are revealed as well, because in this passage we're going to read this morning, he quotes uh, several of those Old Testament passages. So I want to ask you with your Bible. Bible's open there. If you're able, once again, would you stand with me as we read this passage together? And we're going to take up with verse uh, 5, and we're going to read through verse uh, 24, though in reality we could read the entire chapter. But get, begin with me there uh, at verse number 5. Paul's inspired to write, Now may the God of patience 
and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to conform or confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he, all, he will, who, excuse me, he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him, Gen, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for which I'll dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about Elycrium I have I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, but that I should build, that I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I also have been hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. And from this passage I'll bring a message entitled, Worship, the ultimate goal of our mission to the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring it by the Holy Spirit through your servant, Paul. We thank you for uh, giving us your word. We thank you for the inerrancy of the word of God without error, but also that it is sufficient. And Father, we thank you for this wonderful missionary passage, missions passage that really shows us the, uh, the heart desire of, of the Apostle Paul, but also every child of God. And Lord, help us today to understand in a new and a fresh way the ultimate goal of missions to uh, worship the Lord Jesus Christ who alone is worthy and that one day around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, or we're going to worship you every tribe and tongue and nation is going to confess that Jesus is Lord every one of your children are going to are going to honor you and exalt you as king of kings 
for all eternity. And Lord, we thank you that that is the goal of the mission that you've called us to and really the goal of all that we do, that Christ be worshiped, that Christ be glorified. Bless our time now in your word together and we pray that you will change our hearts and we pray you'll speak to the hearts of those today who've never repented of of their sin and come to Christ, who are not truly heart worshipers because they don't know the, the Christ of the word. And I pray today you'll draw them unto yourself and work in every heart today for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, author John Piper writes this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. You know, as we read this passage together, I hope you noted the the number of times that those words, those worship kind of words were mentioned, glorify, praise, sing, rejoice, these terms again related to worship. The word glorify, uh, the word glorify is a Greek word doxazo from which we get the word doxology. And uh, and it means uh, to cause the worth of someone, in this case God, to be manifested or acknowledged. And again, this is the purpose of missions and, and ultimately the purpose of all that we do, that Christ would be honored, that Christ would be glorified. And uh, we read these passages and we'll see them together in just a few moments. Uh, Hunter read this morning from Psalm 67 that again described that, let the nations be glad. And, and that is the ultimate purpose uh, of, of, our, of our mission that God has given to us in the Great Commission is so that Christ can be worshipped because he alone is worthy. And again, we live in a, a very man-centered world, do we not? We live in a world where people uh, are continuously putting themselves up. And yet the Word of God teaches that God is the one who is ultimate, that it's all about Him, that it's all about bringing Him honor and glory and praise. And again, that is the ultimate goal of missions for God to be worshiped among the nations. Let me read just one other verse from the Psalm. Psalms 90, Psalm 96.3 says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. And then as you begin, even in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, very early in uh, the book of Romans, when Paul uh, uh, begins uh, this, this epistle to the Romans, he said, uh, Though whom we have received, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations for the sake of his name and for the you could say for the fame of his name for the sake of his reputation that is the purpose for which we proclaim the gospel so that people may be brought to him so that people who are not worshipers uh, will become worshipers. And that is the ultimate goal, so that he might be praised and honored and glorified. And so I want you to look with me in this passage today at, at five truths concerning worship, the ultimate goal of our mission to the world. Notice, first of all, in verses 5 and 6, that Christ is glorified when we are unified in our purpose in the world. Christ is glorified when we are unified in our purpose 
in the world. And, and again, uh, beginning there in verse 5, Paul prays for unity. Now remember we said this here the church uh, was together. Those who were formerly, uh, who had practiced Judaism and, and went to the temple and had all the various ceremonial laws, and now in, in, in Christ, uh, those, those, those laws that uh, ultimately uh, and all the sacrificial system was pointing to Christ. They were all fulfilled in Christ and the various things that one time, again, looking or not allowed to worship together with Gentiles. Now uh, they are one in Christ. Those walls, those, those divisions have come down. Uh, and by the way, they didn't have, the, uh, they didn't have a, a Gentile church and they didn't have a, a Jewish church. Uh, they didn't divide themselves as many people do today. Uh, again, it, it was all people coming together in Christ. You, you wouldn't have asked, where is this church or that church? You would have come to Christ church. And, and so here they are together, but they're having to overcome these divisions. So Paul is, is writing them and even praying for them that they might have unity, not merely uniformity. And uh, again, we, we unite around the Lord Jesus Christ. We unite around the gospel. And uh, we do have biblical unity and doctrinal unity, uh, but we can agree, we can disagree even on some non-essentials. And, and again, he, Paul describes that and go back and read uh, the previous chapters about how they are to, not to, uh, to, to uh, have judgment upon one another on those non-essential issues. Jesus prayed for our unity as believers in John 17, just uh, several times, but in verses 22 and 23, he prayed, he said to the Father, that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you loved me. Uh, you see, biblical unity is so very important. In fact, it's the most important force for communicating the gospel. Jesus said to us in John 13, 35, that, that the world would know that we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. So that is why biblical unity is so vitally important as believers in Christ. Uh, again, here in verse, uh, verse 6, he says that, that you may, with one mind, with one mouth, or one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, again, the purpose of unity is not just for our enjoyment. Yes, certainly, uh, it, we do enjoy it when, when there is unity, and we can feel it, uh, and we can sense it when there is division or a divisive spirit, and, and that does make it uncomfortable, but it's not about us. Even in unity, it's not about us. And you know, it, it, it is true that when we, are, when we are unified, that the blessing of that is that people around us see, and they are attracted to that. And we see how important that was in the early church. We see how it is today. We all know that when a, when a church and when God's people have difficulty in getting along, we know how that hurts the testimony of Christ, don't we? But you know what? More than, more than our enjoyment, more than attracting unbelievers, you know the most important thing is that's how God gets glory. And God is dishonored when God's people uh, are, are not in unity with one another. It hinders our ability to worship Christ. It hinders our ability to, to honor Christ. And, and, and again, it, it robs him of his glory. Because I remind you, dear friend, worship is not about us. Worship is about Christ. It's about Christ being honored and about gl being glorified. That's why, again, Scripture commands us in Ephesians 4.3 to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace, to be eager, to work hard at, to be diligent in uh, uh, the ideas of this word and maintaining unity. Do you have that eagerness? Are, are you working hard at that? Uh, you know, some people sadly work hard at dividing instead of uniting. Uh, they do that through uh, sowing seeds of discord, through a critical and a negative spirit. But again, God's called us uh, to be united in Christ, and worship is to unite us. And in order that Christ uh, will be glorified in that, in that unity. And again, when we allow things to our preferences, whether it's musical preferences, uh, you know, any other personal preferences, just as these believers were doing, things of our past that we want to insist on, uh, then, then that means we've made it about us instead of about Christ. And we must make certain that we focus on Him. And again, our unity is so important toward uh, our testimony and, and, and being able to fulfill the gospel responsibility and joy that God has given us. Worship, again, uh, is, is, the, is the center, worship of Christ. But secondly, I want you to see that Christ is glorified when we accept one another uh, unconditionally. And this passage says that we are to accept one another unconditionally as Christ has accepted us. In the same way that Christ has accepted us, that word for receive, also translated accepted or even welcomed. The ESV uses the word welcomed. Christ has welcomed us. And, uh, and you know, this is one of the one another passages, by the way, that we are to unconditionally accept or receive or welcome one another. Uh, we're to do so in the same way that Christ has accepted us. And again, he does that unconditionally. Uh, you know, again, I remind you, the Jews, uh, that was tough. Because uh, they, they, were, uh, they despised people who had an outwardly sinful life. We, we've seen in, the, in our going through the Gospel of Luke and other, other Gospels, we see how many times the, the Pharisees, uh, they looked down upon people who had a sinful past, even though many of them, Jesus uh, called them out on it. They were, they were in, inwardly wicked, and, uh, and yet they may have looked good on the outside, but their hearts were wicked. Uh, but those who had a, a sinful past, they were very, uh, very difficult, and they judged them. And, uh, and even those who, especially of other nations, oh my, they, they, had, they called them Gentile dogs. If we had been living around them, most of us would be in that category as Gentiles because we're not Jews. And therefore, they would refer to Gentiles as Gentile dogs. Not, and not a compliment. They, they didn't like dogs, by the way. And so that wasn't a compliment. For those of you who love dogs, don't think of it as a, as a compliment, all right? Uh, but Jesus, Jesus lovingly uh, accepted those who came to him, those who came in repentance and faith. Jesus received. You remember one of the criticisms, uh, the main criticisms that the, the religious Pharisees had against Jesus was that he ate with publicans, that's tax collectors, and sinners, those who were people with a bad reputation. He ate with them. And you know what? He was guilty. Now, he wasn't, that's not, it wasn't wrong. It was right. And Jesus was demonstrating what we are to do, how we're to love people and how we're to love them unconditionally. And they, and they felt loved and accepted by him. Yes, they felt sinful in his presence and, uh, and they wanted to repent of their sin because, of the, because he was uh, without sin and he was holy. But at the very same time, he was love. And he demonstrated that and he forgave them as they came to him with a repentant spirit like the sinful woman that, that was caught in adultery. Uh, Jesus forgave her and he changed her. Uh, he made a special trip to Samaria to meet the woman at the well. 
And, and uh, he knew all about her past. She, you know, had a number of husbands and now was living with someone not, without the benefit of marriage. Jesus knew all that about her. Uh, and he exposed her sin, but at the same time, he showed her how she could be forgiven of her sin and cleansed and made right. And she repented and was changed. And he received her fully and unconditionally. And then he used her to impact her whole city. Uh, many came to Christ. And, and ultimately, we read there in John 4 how after they came, uh, they said, We know that this is indeed the Christ. That the, the Savior of the world, they, He came not just for the Jews, but He came for us too. And He loved them unconditionally, received them upon their repentance and, and their faith. And, and you know, that's what happens to us. When we come to Christ, turning, recognizing our sinfulness, repenting of our sin, placing our faith in Christ and His work for us on the cross and, his, uh, and, and, and the empty tomb that He's alive today, and we put our faith and trust and surrender our lives to Him, the Bible says He fully and unconditionally accepts us. He loves us and He accepts us unconditionally. How does he do that? Because dear friend, the Bible tells us he puts us in Christ. You see, we have no righteousness of our own. Uh, and our, the Bible says our very best is filthy rags in his sight. So what he does is he puts the perfect righteousness of Christ into our bankrupt account. And now we are accepted, not for what we've done or for any works that we can do, because that wouldn't cut it but he accepts us in Christ. In fact, Ephesians 1, 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. And dear friend, we are accepted in the beloved Jesus. He accepts us in Christ. How accepted is Jesus to God the Father? Fully, amen? Completely, absolutely, totally, because he's perfect and sinless. And so he accepts us in Christ. Listen to this. This may, this may sound strange to your ears, but we are, when we come to Christ, put our faith in him, are placed in Christ, Christ is in us, but we are in Christ, we are then just as accepted to God the Father as Jesus is. Not on our merit, but all on his merit. And you know what? We are now, dear friend, to accept one another in the same way, fully unconditionally. That's how we're to accept one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even potentially, that's how we're to see others potentially in Christ, of how God uh, wants to bring them into the fold and wants to accept them, to make them worshipers in Christ as well. So therefore, He is glorified when we accept one another unconditionally as Christ has accepted us. That brings glory to Christ, and that is how we are to relate to people in our world, whether it's our, our family member who is outside of Christ or, or, uh, or the, again, one another, but also unbelievers potentially as we reach out to them uh, in Christ. And, and that, that, again, that's an important part of our mission to the world. And, that, and we're to have the same attitude that Jesus had toward people around us. So I ask you this morning, is there anyone that you have not received or accepted or welcomed? Is there a people group that you would have difficulty accepting unconditionally as a brother or a sister or, or even into our church? And I'll get a little more personal. Uh, since we are the family of God, what about into your family? Uh, and uh, what about into your home? 
Is there anyone that you would have difficulty with that? Then I want to ask you to pray about that. Because again, our attitude is that Christ is to be that Christ is glorified, worshipped, when we accept one another unconditionally just as, as he's accepted us. You know, Karen and I went to, the other night to a, a, a restaurant in a part of town um, and, uh, that, that we're not accustomed to being in, quite honestly. And, uh, and, and you know, in that particular restaurant... Um, most of the people there were, uh, looked different from us. Uh, almost, there were very few people in that restaurant who were not African-American. And, uh, you know, uh, that, 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 was, that was a good lesson for me. You know, one thing it did for me was it helped me to see how people who, who, uh, uh, who are African-American, who are black, who may feel when they go into a place that's, that's like that, you know? But it also made me think about it. You know, if, if Karen and I were living in... Uh, uh, in China, uh, most of the people in the restaurants would look Chinese, wouldn't they? Most of them, probably. We were living in, uh, you know, Indonesia. Most of them would look like the people in Indonesia. And, and it just dawned on me, you know, again, I'm reminded, this is my world. This is the world we live in. And God loves those people. And, uh, and as they come to him in Christ, you know, that, that can't, that's not to be a barrier to us. And, uh, and by the way, Marty, thank you for, being, for loving us and accepting us unconditionally. Aren't you glad Marty loves us and accepts us? Amen. And we are grateful for that. Yeah. And uh, see, it's a, it's a two-way thing. We love one another and accept one another unconditionally. And, and we want to be, that's how it's going to be in heaven. Amen. And we want to look more like heaven. That's how it's going to be around the throne. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what God was calling the Jewish and, and Gentile believers to do as they came together. And he didn't say, well, why don't y'all go start your own church? No, he didn't do that. He said, you need to accept one another uh, unconditionally, love one another unconditionally. And that when you do that, that is, brings glory to Christ. That honors him and exalts him for who he is because it, it reflects his nature. And, and he is, he's glorified in diversity. But then thirdly, I want you to see Christ is glorified when we declare and demonstrate his mercy to the world. When we declare and demonstrate his mercy to the world. And this is, these verses are probably the, the really key pa parts of this passage in relationship to, the, to our theme that worship is the ultimate goal of missions. Uh, again, verses 8 to 12. But look, at, look again at, at, at verse 8. He says, now, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision or to the Jews for the truth of God to confirm the promise made to the fathers. You know, Christ became a servant. Uh, he was King of kings and Lord of lords. He still is. He always was. He never ceased to be. And yet he came, the Bible says, to, uh, he himself said, I came to, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He came to, to glorify the Father and, and to glorify his truthfulness that, in keeping his promises that God would do exactly what he said he'd do. He said he was going to send a Messiah, a King, a, a, the Christ, the Lord. He did that in sending Christ. He kept his promises. He kept his promises to his own people, to the Jews. But also, he, he came to declare and to demonstrate the Father's mercy and, to lo and love. And he did that throughout his ministry. He taught that. He pre proclaimed that. He demonstrated that through, through the miracles of mercy that he did throughout uh, his, his ministry. And, and, uh, he, but his greatest demonstration of mercy and grace and love, of course, was the cross. There he gave his life for us. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. He demonstrated His mercy, His love, His grace for us. And, and, and we do the same thing. He, he goes on then beginning in verse 9, and he quotes several uh, passages uh, from, the, uh, from the Old Testament and, and to show that, again, this was God's plan all along. Uh, he intended that the, the nation of Israel become uh, vehicles for the gospel, uh, not to keep it to themselves. They got it all wrong. Uh, they, they didn't understand. But he, he, he came, his plan was to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles so that they might be worshipped. And, and again, the word Gentiles that you see here mentioned several times is the Greek word ta ethne. And uh, you'll re maybe recognize that ethne. It's the word from which we get the word ethnic or ethnicity. And, and uh, it's also translated nations. It can also be, and it also is translated people groups. Uh, but notice the progression there in verse, verse uh, 9, again, uh, which is a, a quote from uh, Psalm 18, uh, 49. He says um, that the Gentiles might, uh, well, ver the second part of verse 9, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So again, he shows here that the Jews uh, glorify God among the Gentiles. In verse 10, that the Gentiles rejoice um, with the Jews. He says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Uh, verse 11, which uh, uh, again, he shows that the Jews and the Gentiles together praise God. By the way, the one there in verse 10 is from Deuteronomy 32, 43. Verse 11 is a quote of Psalm 117, 1. And then uh, again in verse 12, Christ shall reign over Jews and Gentiles, which is a quote from, uh, from Isaiah uh, chapter 11 and verse 10. There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise, rise to reign over Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. So again, think of this as Gentiles as being nations, the nations, the nations, the nations. And guess what, folks? We're included there. Uh, we're included there. Remember, the, the, uh, the Word of God wasn't given, uh, and the Great Commission wasn't given in America. You remember that, don't you? We're among these. We're those who were, were seen here, uh, who would come and who would be as nations to be able to glorify Christ, other people groups. And we're a part of those other people groups that were included, uh, included here. And again, Christ is glorified when we demonstrate and we declare His mercy uh, to the nations. So again, I remind you, the purpose of nations hearing the gospel and coming to him is not first and foremost that people be saved. If I were to have asked most of you, and, and probably even at some time in my life, if you'd asked me, uh, what's the purpose of proclaiming the gospel? And what's the ultimate goal? Well, we don't want people to go to hell. Is that a pretty good reason? Yeah, that's a good reason. It's true. We don't want people to go to hell. We shouldn't want them to go to hell. But the first and foremost before that is so that Christ be worshiped. Is so that Christ be glorified. That is the purpose. That is the ultimate goal, and to demonstrate His mercy to the world. Uh, and again, we must proclaim the gospel to unbelievers in order that they may repent, trust in Christ, so that He may receive the worship that He alone deserves. That is our goal. That is His goal, and therefore it must be our goal in order to proclaim Christ so that Christ uh, can be worshipped. Do you see it that way? Do you understand that? Will you ask God to burn that in your heart today? David Brainerd was a missionary 
uh, in the United States uh, to the uh, missionaries, the American, uh, rather the, not the missionaries, to the American Indians in New Jersey. And uh, he, uh, he died at age 29, a very young man. And seven days before his death, he wrote these words. He said, my soul was this day sweetly set on God. I longed to be with him that I might behold his glory. Oh, that his kingdom might come in the world that they might all love and glorify him for what he is in himself. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He understood that the goal of these Indians coming to faith in Christ was so that they might glorify Him. And again, I believe that one of the things that is lacking in our understanding of missions is to understand that that is the goal, that is the purpose, and that is what we must pray for and what uh, we must diligently serve Christ and share Christ is so that people may become worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's said that this is the, the absence of this passion is the great cause of missionary weakness in the churches. But again, for that to be true, our heart's desire, our ultimate priority must be worship. We must see worship as our ultimate goal and priority as well. I want you to see fourth in in this passage uh, in verses uh, 16 to 19 that Christ is glorified when we see our our witness to the world as a sacrifice of uh, of worship. Uh, by the way, verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. And again, what a, that's the, Paul's uh, prayer for them and, and for us as well. And, and, uh, and, and we begin there in verse, we drop down to verse 16 that Paul is describing his ministry here in priestly terms. Um, and uh, if you see in verse uh, verse 16, he says, uh, uh, that I might be a minister. Well, let's just back up to verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on, the sa- on some points, as reminding you because the grace of God given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is describing his ministry in priestly terms. He's challenging the, the people of God. He, he's, uh, he's stirring them up, if you will, uh, to, to see the, the need for this in their lives. Again, as, as they have allowed things to, uh, to divide them as the people of God. But he's writing them, even though many of them uh, should, be, should be aware of these truths. He's reminding them of these truths and giving them boldly to them. He said that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. Interesting, the word used for minister is, 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 uh, means a public servant, and it was used to speak of the Jewish priest. Have you ever thought of yourself in that light? Paul did. Then he goes on, the verb for ministering means to serve as a priest. The words offering and acceptable were used for worship sacrifices. The word sanctified means to be set apart. 
that was used to set apart sacrifices. When they would offer the sacrifices, the priest would set them apart. They would sanctify them. So get the picture here. Paul, now called to be an, an apostle to the Gentiles, a missionary, if you will, to the nations, uh, he says, look, at the, these Gentiles, these nations, these individuals who formerly would, would not even even been allowed to come into uh, many parts of the temple, they had a special place just called the, 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 the court of the Gentiles. They could only go there. But now those very people who at one time would have been considered unclean and unable to come, not only are allowed to come in, not only are we through Christ able to enter in to the Holy of Holies to worship Him, but now... The very ones who at one time couldn't even enter are now the, the, those very ones are the sacrifices being offered up. And every person that we have the joy of sharing the gospel with and hearing those people repent of their sin, place their faith and trust in Christ, or through our being able to equip another to be a disciple maker who's then able to lead another to Christ, those very individuals become offerings of sacrifices. And therefore, what Paul is describing, that what we do in proclaiming the gospel, that even that in itself is an, is an act of worship as we proclaim Christ and proclaim the gospel. Christ is honored. Notice it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies or sets apart that, that unbeliever as they repent of their sin and put their faith in trust in Christ. In verse 17, again, Paul uh, describes here, he says, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. The word glory has the idea of boasting or taking pride in. Paul wasn't proud of himself, and he goes on to say, I'm not, I'm not boasting of anything I've accomplished. I give God the glory. I honor Him. But what a joyful privilege that we have to proclaim the gospel to the, the nations. Ta ethne, from which we get that word ethnic, nations, people groups. And, and that's exactly what we have the joy uh, of doing. And, and dear friend, we are, the Bible says in Revelation 1-6, he's made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. Amen. Do you know that you are a priest in the service of Christ? You are, certainly that is true as you pray. Uh, one of the things that we're able to do is intercede on behalf of others. And that's a very important part of our ministry, to pray for unbelievers who don't know Christ. We're interceding on their behalf. We're, we're intervening on their behalf as we pray, but also as we share the gospel with people and proclaim Christ. We are, uh, we're, Christ is glorified as we see our witness to the world as an, offering, as, a, as an act of worship. Are you doing that? I challenge you and ask you, are you fulfilling your priestly responsibility in the gospel? But number five, I want you to see Christ is glorified when we obediently seek to make disciples of all people groups. Again, um, Paul is describing in this, in this passage, uh, as he begins there, as he continues there in verse, uh, uh, verse 20, Paul describes... Uh, uh, his ministry and, and how he's served the Lord uh, and, and uh, from Jerusalem around about to Elycrium. And, and, uh, and he says, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. He was faithful to go and proclaim the gospel to unreached peoples where he was. And then verse 20, he said, And I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Uh, again, Paul saw his commission 
as given to us by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 28, to go to the, to the ends of the earth with the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to all nations, to make disciples of all nations or all people groups. And uh, his strategy was to go where no one had gone. Uh, again, uh, he was, because he again wanted to obey the Great Commission and make certain that everyone had the opportunity. I believe that Paul lived uh, with, the, with the belief that Christ would come back in his lifetime. You say, well, he was wrong. No, he was right. Everyone should believe that. We're all to believe that. We're to live as if though Jesus would return today. And I believe uh, that's the way we should, that's the urgency with which we should proclaim the gospel. Because again, why? Because when that happens, we're going to see that the nations are going to worship Christ around the throne. And, and, and we're going to be able to do that. So that was his strategy to, to go into that unplowed field, to plant the gospel seed. Uh, and again, uh, verse um, 21, he, he quotes there from, from Isaiah, says, uh, To whom he has not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And then he goes on in verse 22, he said, For this uh, reason I also have been hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Paul, Paul is saying in verse 23, I, I believe that my work here is complete. Had, he, had Paul necessarily shared the gospel with every single person? No, not necessarily. But you know what I believe Paul had done? He'd been obedient to share the gospel. There had been people among those people groups among that people group who had repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ. He knew that he had obeyed Christ. There were people among those people groups who had come to faith in Christ. And now they would be obedient to multiply the gospel. They were disciples who would do what? Exactly what Jesus said to do. They would multiply. They would share the gospel, make disciples uh, of people who would hear the gospel, repent, trust Christ, become a disciple, and then they too would fulfill the Great Commission. So he knew he could move on and continue on with what God had called him to do. And that's, that's the same strategy that the Lord Jesus has given to us. You see, that is why we go to Indonesia, as Brian and Sarah are about to do this next week. We're going to pray for them at the conclusion of our service and hear more about that. And in a couple of weeks, uh, Jenny uh, Porter and Edwin Bone and I and some other uh, folks we're going with are going to Costa Rica, Nicaragua. Are we going over there to, uh, to share the gospel with everybody in Nicaragua, in Costa Rica and in Indonesia? No, we're going to help equip disciples who can fulfill the Great Commission, who can become multiplying disciple makers. We trust and pray, and that is our responsibility. You see, they can not only go in their country, they can even go to other countries uh, and other nations. And, uh, and even as uh, we know that the world is coming to us, and we have the opportunity right where we are to proclaim the gospel uh, with people and make disciples. And so Paul wanted everyone to hear and have the opportunity in every people group to hear. And uh, because again, this is the fulfillment of what Jesus has commissioned us to do in Matthew 28, 19, where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, literally all people groups, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he gave us a strategy in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He outlined it for us in Acts 1, 8. Acts 1, 8, he says, But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We're equally commissioned to go to all of those people groups, all of those areas, starting right here in our own Jerusalem. 
right here where we live, right here with those who are nearest us, maybe in our home. People who are not yet believers have not come to become a disciple of Christ. Maybe our next door neighbor, maybe our coworker, maybe our classmate, right here where we are, in our community, where we live, and, and in our county, right around us, our state, then in Judea, and the, uh, the, those areas and those people that uh, are maybe near us but not like us, in our Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. We are all equally responsible, dear friend, for this strategy that Jesus has given us. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of worship. Because Jesus, it's all about Christ. It's about bringing people through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to faith in Christ so that they can become worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share some facts with you this morning. Did you know that there are 11,491 people groups in the world of the 7.2 billion people or something like that, almost 12,000 people groups. Of these, 6,792 are, uh, have less than 2% evangelical Christians among them. 3,080 of those are unreached or unengaged. There is no church planting strategy present with them. About, about 2.8 billion people live where there is little or no access to the gospel. 2.8 billion people where there is little or no access, where there is no church uh, planting strategy, and where there are very few believers or very few uh, believers there uh, to share Jesus with them. Approximately 11% of the world's population are believers. So that means 89% of the world is still unreached, has not, have not come to Christ have not been born again, have not become disciples. You see, folks, we have a big job. We have a great commission, a great responsibility. And the purpose and the goal of it all is to proclaim Christ so that every tribe, tongue, and nation can glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must keep on taking the gospel to our world, starting with our nearest of kin our, and then to our neighbor, to, our, uh, to those all around us, and ultimately to the nations until the last unreached people group is reached and Jesus comes for his church. Then we will gather around the throne and worship the Lamb together. Listen to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, friend, I pray you'll get that vision in your heart today. Your, that vision ever before you. People from every tongue, every tribe, every nation around the throne acknowledging Jesus Christ is Lord, glorifying Him, worshiping Him together because that is the ultimate goal of missions that Christ be worshiped, that Christ be glorified. And it must start in our own heart with that desire in our heart and life as well, that Christ be honored and glorified. Do you have that goal in your heart and mind for missions, that Christ be worshiped? This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. 
If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.